0: Welcome to Prophecy Today Weekend. I'm Jimmy DeYoung, Jr., and along with my brother Rick, we examine current events in the light of God's prophetic word. I'm excited about today's program, Rick, because it's very
1: informative. Me too, Jimmy. We have a very informative and educational program today. We have our normal broadcast partners, plus a few new partners. Uh, Winky Madad is here. Ron Morrow is here to talk about financial implications and things taking place right now, and we've also got Mike Gendron with us.
0: Well, Rick, let's get right into the program. Who do we have
1: first? Jimmy, our first guest is Ken Timmerman. He talks with us about geopolitical affairs. Ken, thank you for joining us today. Thank you, Rick. It's always a pleasure to be with you. Well, my first question, and it's a series of questions that I have for you on a, a theme that shows changing dynamics in the geopolitical world. And we'll start with Iran and Saudi Arabia and some reports out that with the Afghanistan withdrawal, They have begun to have talks between these two nations that have uh, typically been at odds with each other. Can you tell us about that situation?
2: Well, there are reports that the uh, Iranians and Saudis have held four rounds of talks, uh, pretty discreet talks over the past two to three months. They are looking at calming tensions between the two countries. Uh, Now, remember, uh, up until these talks began, the Iranians were lobbying Missiles at the Saudi capital, at uh, Saudi airports. They had hit Abqaiq, the biggest oil refinery in the world. Uh, They were sending drones into Saudi Arabia and basically doing whatever they could to damage the Saudi kingdom and to reduce their oil production. Now uh, we'll see if the Iranians are really intent on offering anything to the Saudis. I happen to be very skeptical of this. I know there's some people who believe that this is a great sign and it uh, came about because the U.S. is is withdrawing from the region. Uh, That's something we'll talk about more uh, this morning. But um, I I think, uh, frankly, the Iranians, whenever they talk, uh, they are winning uh, because they, they are very good at negotiating. Remember, they're Persian carpet merchants, right? They've been doing this for thousands of years, selling carpets. And they know the minute they get you into the store they can hook you into a deal. Uh, The Saudis have resisted going into that carpet store for years and instead contesting with the Iranians directly on the battlefield in Yemen and getting the U.S. to back them in the war against Yemen and to provide air defense missiles to protect them from the Iranian missile strikes and the um, drone strikes. Now Biden has pulled those Patriot missiles out. We've talked about this in recent weeks. I think it was a disastrous uh, decision on Biden's part and essentially opened the Saudis up to renewed uh, Iranian um, uh, strikes. And now what we're seeing, it got them into the Iran- Iranian carpet store. I don't have a good feeling about those talks. I don't think they are going to benefit uh, Saudi Arabia or U.S. national security interests in the region. I think it will lead to concessions by the Saudis to the Iranians, and that will never be a good thing.
1: That's a very interesting analogy, and I don't dig- disagree with you as far as the skepticism of those talks. Well, the second shifting uh, dynamic on the geopolitical scale, we talked last week about how the European Union is not going to let several of the Balkan states in. If the European Union is not going to be a player there, who's going to come in and fill that void?
2: Well, that's a good question. What, what's going on here is, is there has been a, a, an effort for a number of years to bring the Western Balkan states into the European Union. These are six countries, most of them very small, uh, Bosnia and Herzegovina, Serbia, Kosovo, Montenegro, tiny little Montenegro, as F. Scott Fitzgerald used to refer to them, uh, North Macedonia and Albania. They wanted to bring them in by 2030, and they had a summit. The Europeans had a summit of the 27 current members of the EU in the Balkans in Ljubljana, and uh, rejected, basically, that proposal by Slovenia to bring these Western Balkan states in. Now, uh, it's not closing, they're not closing the door completely. They're just saying they are not ready yet. Uh, The problem, of course, is by shutting them out, these states are looking for security. They're looking for uh, economic security. They're looking for economic ties. And if the EU is not going to let them into their bloc so they can trade without tariffs, for example... uh, who can they trade with? Well, guess what? There are two other big countries who are around and who are interested, Russia and China. So when the EU shuts the door, or at least closes it, leaving it open just a crack, the Russians and the Chinese jump in. This is really the problem. It's the same problem that you have with Iran and Saudi Arabia, as we were just discussing. When the U.S. leaves a power vacuum, when the EU leaves a power vacuum, you now have two very hungry power is jumping in. And one of them, China, tremendously wealthy and willing to spread its wealth around to uh, create uh, friends, allies, and co-optees. The Russians, they use other weapons now. They're using primarily energy to blackmail countries in Europe, and uh, they can very easily do that with these uh, Western Balkan states.
1: Well, then jumping on this, and this is my final question in, in this series, former Secretary of State Mike Pompeo said in an interview with Fox News that the world is, quote, very concerned America is leaving the international stage under the Biden foreign policy.
2: You know, Rick, what's so ironic about this is that uh, that is exactly what the Democrats claimed Donald Trump was going to do with his America First policy. And, of course, over four, four years, that is not what we saw at all with President Trump. We saw President Trump on the world stage, both at the United Nations, in Europe with NATO, getting our NATO allies to finally pay more for their own defense, for their common defense, also in their own national defense budget, and uh, explain to other countries at the United Nations that you should also be France first. You should be Britain first. Uh, You should put the interests of your country first and not sort some kind of international consortium of your enemies, which is what the United Nations General Assembly tends to be uh, when it comes to the United States. So Trump did not pull us off of the world stage. Uh, He actually engaged, but on a much stronger basis by imposing tariffs on China to get them to change their behavior, which he did by withdrawing from the bad Iran deal, uh, which forced the Europeans, among others, to recognize that Iran was hell-bent on acquiring nuclear weapons. Status. Biden, on the contrary, is actually pulling us back. He pulled out of Afghanistan with no, no uh, plan B. Uh, he is going to be pulling out of Iraq by the end of this year completely. The last 2,500 or 3,000 2, 3, troops that are currently in Iraq will be pulled out by December 31st. Uh, if you thought the rise of ISIS was bad in 2014, just you wait what's going to happen when we pull out of Iraq. So, Mike Pompeo. Uh, was warning about this. Uh, He says, when the Taliban pushed them, us, uh, the Trump administration, we crushed them. Uh, And he said, but now with the Biden administration, they said a date certain. They push on you and you withdraw inch by inch. This is a quote from Pompeo. They didn't. This didn't just happen in 11 days. That's the myth the Biden administration tells us. It wasn't 11 days. It was weeks and weeks and weeks of the Taliban advancing on provincial capitals all across the country, Pompeo said and they saw it coming and did nothing. So that is the problem. Biden is withdrawing. He sees the rest of the world coming in to take our place, and he is doing nothing. We will be weaker for it. Our friends and allies will be threatened
1: for it. Certainly uh, a situation to keep an eye on. I'd like to switch gears a little bit and go to the ongoing Iranian-Israeli conflict There's some reports out this week that Iran has threatened to retaliate against the Jewish population that is currently in Iran if Israel takes actions to uh, stop their nuclear weapons program.
2: You know, uh, this is pretty extraordinary. Even under Ayatollah Khomeini in the beginning of the Iranian Revolution, uh, you did not see this kind of blatant, open, anti-Semitic attack against Iranians. Iranian Jews. Uh, Remember, Jews have lived in Iran since the Babylonian captivity, right? (laughs) They were brought out by Nebuchadnezzar and by the Babylonian kings. And ultimately, when the Persian Empire overthrew uh, uh, Nebuchadnezzar, those Jews lived on at the court of the Persian emperor and ultimately convinced him uh, to set them free and turn them back to Jerusalem thousands of years ago. There has been a Jewish community in Iran, in particular around around Hamadan, those areas in western Iran, northwestern Iran, ever since that time. And they have always been not just tolerated, but respected. They have had prominent roles in, in uh, regime after regime and empire after empire. Even Khomeini recognized that they were full-blooded Iranians and contributed to Iran's body politics. So now you have their new Uh, Vice President for Economic Affairs, Mohsen Razai, the former commander of the Reb Guards. This is somebody I know very, very well. He is a despicable human being. He is a miserable excuse for a leader who has never been able to win an election. He tried to run for president three times. I knew his son, Ahmed Razai, very, very well. Uh, He came and learned English in my basement for six months. Uh, Many years ago when he defected to the United States, his father tried to kidnap him to bring him back to Iran, uh, ultimately did bring him back to Iran, and subjected him to over 100 electroshock treatments to get him to toe the line. This guy, Mosin Rezai, is despicable, and his threat to hold the 10,000 remaining Jews in Iran hostage, if Israel does anything to Hezbollah, to Hamas, uh, anything with their nuclear weapons program, is is anti-Semitic to its core, and really should disqualify him for any role in any government that calls itself a government of Iran. But of course, you know, this regime in Tehran is not the government of Iran. It is the Islamic State of Iran, the Islamic Republic, they call it, of Iran. They are a government of Islam, not a government of Iranians
1: for Iran. Ken, thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you for your unique political perspective, and we look forward to talking to you again soon.
2: Thanks so much, Rick. It's always a pleasure to be with you. God bless.
1: Well, Jimmy, as you could tell, it certainly looks like all the major players are coming into place, and the stage is being set for the end
0: times. Rick, that's why we focus on all the nations with Ken Timmerman and all of our broadcast partners. The stage is being set, Rick, and we're getting closer to the event of the rapture to take place. we're going to have to take a break. And when we come back, Rick will be talking to David Dolan, our Mideast journalist for 35 years in the nation of Israel. That's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today.
3: Every believer needs to understand Bible prophecy. Whether you're a novice or a student, we are here to help you. Just visit prophecytoday.com and click on the link for the Prophecy Bookstore. There you will find a large selection of CD sets, DVDs, and books for the Bible Prophecy Student written by Dr. Jimmy DeYoung and other prominent scholars. While you're there, be sure to check out Dr. DeYoung's latest series called Presidents, Politics, and Prophecy.
4: I'm Ruth Kramer with Mission Network News. In 2019, protesters across Iraq demanded new parliamentary elections. Those finally took place on Sunday, but the election was plagued by low voter turnout. Many protesters chose to boycott the election, saying it wouldn't bring actual change to a corrupt system. Samuel with Redemptive Story says the votes are still being tallied, but no party currently has enough to gain a majority. Join us in praying that the new government would be friendlier to Christians. And does a calling to ministry mean no full-time career? Well, that's a question many professionals in Southeast Asia are asking. Mary Jo Wilson says Asian Access walks alongside a group of them. They meet regularly over Zoom for training. Wilson says this starts with a deep love for God that affects every aspect of their lives. Eventually, the young professionals learn ways to share their faith in these environments. Pray this training would strengthen local churches. Mission Network News, Service of One Way Ministries, Harman Kramer.
1: We're back here on Prophecy Today with our Middle East News update with our regular broadcast, Dave Dolan. Dave, how are you doing today?
5: I'm doing well, Rick. God bless.
1: Yeah, Thank you for joining us. Let's get right into it. There's been a strike in Syria, and nobody has claimed responsibility for it, but it is thought to be a U.S.-Israeli combined strike and there has been warnings from Iran that this won't be tolerated. Can you tell us about this situation and what's taking place in that area right now?
5: Well, Rick, yes, on Wednesday, some jets uh, attacked Iranian-linked targets near the city of Palmyra, which is in central Syria. And we discussed in previous broadcasts, uh, Rick, you'll recall that um, Syria is taking a stronger stand now, uh, that the war is mostly over and they've won it, saying that they will retaliate for every Israeli strike. So they've been threatening that. And uh, meanwhile, Iranian militias uh, based in Syria, a group of them, issued a statement on Thursday saying that there would be a, quote, harsh response from them to the alleged Israeli airstrike. The Russians said on Friday, yesterday, that it was four F-16 Israeli jets that carried out the strike, This was a Russian group that monitors activity in Syria for the Russian government, so pretty authoritative. And uh, they repeated, as other reports had said, that they had come in from the Jordanian-Iraqi-Syrian border region, uh, which is controlled by the United States in eastern, southeastern Syria so alleging that the Americans were behind this, or at least aware of it as well. As a result, uh, the Israelis closed their airspace in the north. The Golan Heights was uh, sealed off to all air traffic, and uh, uh, other precautions have been taken in Israel. So they are expecting something. And in Iran itself, there was harsh condemnations of the uh, Israeli strikes. And this comes as Iran is beginning its biggest ever air defense Exercise. It's going to last for several days where they're testing all of their different air defense systems in Iran. Of course, those are mostly set up to prevent an Israeli strike on Iran's nuclear program. So the situation is very hot and very tense right now with Syria, with Iran, and uh, we're waiting to see uh, what could come of that.
1: Well, then, to follow up on that question, and I do believe that the Prime Minister that we currently have right now in Israel, Prime Minister Bennett, recognizes the importance of the Golan, and this week, in response to uh, the fact that it looks like Iran is trying to build up their influence in Syria and basically surround the Golan and and, and threaten Israel, he has committed to expanding the Israeli presence in the Golan and also committed to uh, 100% no-going-back Israeli sovereignty in the Golan.
5: Yes, he's making it uh, abundantly clear that uh, the previous government's position on the Golan Heights, Vivian Netanyahu's position, remains in place, that this is part of sovereign Israel. Um, Your late father and I discussed several times that in the 1920s, when the world powers were dividing up the region following World War I, uh, that the Golan Heights was supposed to be part of a Jewish state. It was designated to be that in the nineteen twenty two accord and it was only taken by Syria in the 1947-48 war violently and held on to until nineteen sixty seven and Israel captured it back. It's a source of a lot of water and it's strategic not only in the fact that it is a heights above northern Israel, the um Upper Galilee area, but it's adjacent to Lebanon and Syria, not just Syria Lebanon, of course, has Hezbollah, a pro-Iranian-sponsored pro-Iranian, iranian militia. And, of course, this week we had the most violent clashes in Beirut in uh, over a decade between Hezbollah supporters and uh, mostly Christian Lebanese forces. Uh, six were killed. There was a major battle that went on for several hours, and the fear is that Hezbollah will, uh, you know, uh, continue to... Uh, mm, to go to war against Israel and they know that that's going to happen and the Golan is a central uh, element there as well so for various reasons the israelis will keep control of the Golan heights they will never agree in negotiations to return that to syria syria used it from 67 from 48 till 67 to attack israeli towns and and uh, tiberias and other places in the north It'll never happen. that It will revert. And that's basically what uh, Naphtali Bennett is making clear. And as you say, as part of strengthening it, he's going to encourage the building of new communities up there and hopes to double the number of, of Israelis living up there within a few decades.
1: Interesting situation. And thank you for helping us keep tabs on that. I'd like to switch gears a little bit and talk a little bit about Israeli politics and an article that I saw in the news this week, and it talked about the ultra-Orthodox political party in Israel and how right now they are not in the majority coalition. Um, interestingly enough, the sometimes anti-Israel Arab party is in the coalition that is in power now. But can you talk a little bit about that dynamic and what that, and I know we've talked about this in the past, but uh, what that means for Israel and and how that works?
5: Well, first of all, Rick, it's very unusual for the religious parties. There's two main uh, religious parties in Israel. One is uh, with the Sephardic Jews, the Shas Party, as Jews from the Middle East, Morocco, and those sorts of areas. And then the um, Ashkenazi United Torah Judaism Party represents uh, Jews from Europe and background and that sort of thing more. And they are almost always part of any right-wing government, certainly. The only times they haven't been in the government over the past 40, 50 years is one that was a clearly left-wing government. That's only been a couple times. And the rest of the time, they've always sat in the coalitions. So to be outside of the government means one thing in particular to them, the funding for their schools, the funding for their community centers, and that is reduced because that's part of the reason these parties want to be part of the government is they get more goodies as a result. So they're suffering from that a lack of government funding. But also in the country, there's been this um, this war going on, really, a cultural war, as it were, between the ultra orthodox and the secular ultra-secular, as I would call them. There's the the Tel Aviv crowd, the, you know, the gay rights movement people and and all of that that are very powerful in the Tel Aviv area. Uh, This has been going on for many, many years, but uh, it it, uh, hasn't gotten any better. And uh, the Orthodox are pretty um, isolated, you know, in their uh, lives. They live in their own neighborhoods, basically their own communities. They do their own thing and stay away from tel aviv and that sort of thing so it's almost like you have two different countries in a way and about thirty percent of israelis are ultra orthodox so it's not a small number Um but this goes on and uh... they would like to get back to the government but of course with the Meretz party and the labor party ultra left parties in and the arab party you mentioned uh, they're certainly not going to be part of this particular coalition But uh, they'll be back in at some point, and they know that.
1: Well, we've got about a minute and a half left, David. And uh, my last question is concerning the controversy surrounding the call to open up the consulate in Jerusalem again. Could you explain to our listeners why this is so important and why we should pay attention to this?
5: Well, essentially it would be uh, negating Israeli sovereignty over Jerusalem. Uh, if the U.S. were to reopen this consulate. Uh, again, the U.S. Embassy was moved from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem. It's a huge building. It can serve everybody in the area, Arabs and Jews, and that's what it's been doing. But the United States wants to, uh, the current uh, Biden administration, I should say, wants to reopen the consulate in East Jerusalem that the Trump administration closed down so the arabs would go there the jews would go to the embassy a couple miles away and both in the same city so that seems like not only a waste of money but a political decision very much trying to uh, you know say that we the um, united states uh, government recognize the palestinians as their own country their own people and they'll have their own consulate from us so that's essentially what it's saying Palestinians are pushing hard for that to happen. The Israeli government is uh, pushing hard against it.
1: David, as always, thank you for your excellent information, and thank you for keeping our listeners informed. Glad to do it, Rick. God bless. Jimmy, another great update from Dave Dolan, a Middle East News update, and it is so very important that we keep our focus on the nation of Israel right now.
0: It sure is, Rick. As we keep our focus on Israel and we're watching what's happening in Syria, now Syria is focusing on Israel. Uh, That's Daniel chapter 11 coming into play. Of course, as we look at the religious parties, that's Ezekiel 37 and those two sticks that will come back together, but it is prophesied that they will separate in the end times where there will be two Jewish states. And of course, Jerusalem as the capital of Israel That's 2 Samuel chapter 5, where David defeated the Jebusites and then proclaimed Jerusalem to be the rightful capital of the Jewish people. So it is important. God has a plan for the Jewish people, for the nation of Israel, and he's not finished yet. And we'll keep our focus on the nation of Israel each week. We're going to take a break. And when we come back, Rick's going to be talking to Israel Medad as he goes to a special event, a bar mitzvah for his grandson. That's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today. Thank you. welcome back to prophecy today i'm jimmy DeYoung jr let me remind you next weekend october 24th i will be at union grove baptist church in union grove wisconsin if dr rich Schmidt is the pastor he's having a big conference we'd love to have you come join us go to the union grove baptist church website and you will find out more information so that you can join us for that special weekend
1: Winky Madad is with us. He is our regular guest, former mayor of Shiloh, and political expert on all things taking place in Israel. We are recording him early this week for a special occasion. He has, uh, he's not going to be available later on because his grandson is having a bar mitzvah. So first of all, Mazel Tov, congratulations, is in order. Secondly, Winky, if you could, could you tell us a little bit about the bar mitzvah and the importance both to you and to your grandson and to, your, to the Jewish culture?
6: Well, first of all, thank you very much for the uh, good wishes. Congratulations. It's a little bit belated, actually. It's a year belated because of the corona. We were basically all locked down. Uh, but he managed to get here to Shiloh, where I live, from the neighboring Ofra, where he and his family lived. And we had morning prayer, and that was about it. Uh, So now we're having the party, finally. Bar Mitzvah means uh, literally son of the commandment. And in Jewish custom and ritual, a Jewish male is obliged to perform the commandments and take upon himself the responsibilities of an adult male at the age of 13. And for all you women out there in Judaism, it's 12 years old at a day, uh, so they get a jump on things. But significantly, or shall I even say symbolically, uh, after years of study and training, it's a sort of uh, initiation into Judaism, into the Jewish people, as a person in his own right. And someone might say, well, he's only 13, but 13 is an age which our rabbis have deemed important enough Uh, that he is able to understand and to do things and to be a part of a community and completing a prayer quorum or any other of the commandments that an adult Jew is obliged to do.
1: Well, thank you so much for sharing, and again, congratulations. Uh, I'd like to get into some news right now. My first question, and I saw you commented on this on Twitter, but uh, I guess a famous Irish author has declined to have her books translated into Hebrew. Uh, She's doing this as part of the BDS, the Boycott uh, Divest Sanctions that are uh, held against Israel. Um, But she's not doing it against anybody else. Uh, She says that uh, she's only doing it against Israel, other very oppressive or other human rights, uh, confirmed human rights violators. She's allowed translation into those languages. So it, it seems like it's Uh, possible anti-Semitism. But I'd like your thoughts on that subject, Winky.
6: Well, as you pointed out, uh, the most annoying thing in this BDS movement of boycotting uh, or discriminating against or banning your products like ice cream, which we discussed a while ago, uh, and all sorts of things, uh, is annoying because the amount of their involvement in actually getting peace done, on the one hand, is negligent. They're not out there, for example, saying the Arabs should stop killing Jews, or let's all get together and see how we can work it out. Everything, the entire onus, the entire responsibility, everything is that Jewish state in the Middle East that's doing everything wrong, which not only is factually incorrect, but as you said, it, it, it leads people to think, why boycott a language? Why use culture in which your book maybe even could help, maybe? I, 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 Of course, I'm not going to read the books. I don't even know what it's about. But maybe there are some books that could help promote compromise, uh, reduce extremism, share religious and cultural messages that people could identify with instead of saying, Uh, I'm not going to allow my book to be translated into Hebrew. And, of course, as you pointed out, Rick, you know, the book goes to all other places where I think the situation is much worse. But she wouldn't do a a, a turn-the-head-around about that because she's a Marxist, because Ireland has become, unfortunately, over the past two to three decades, uh, very socialist in their revolutionary zeal among the, the youth. And these are the agenda subjects uh, for young kids today, the younger generation. And it's unfortunate.
1: It certainly is. Uh, my next question, Winky, and you forwarded me an article that you wrote for a website called TheMediaLine.org. Um, and you you were you wrote an article there talking about the Temple Mount. We discussed this last week, uh, Jewish prayer on the Temple Mount, whether it should be allowed or not allowed. And one of the things that struck me about the article that you wrote is you talk about the degrading way um, that the uh, that the quote-unquote other side talks about the issue. And let me just read a qu- quote from your article. It says, Palestinian Authority President Mahmoud Abbas said Jews defile the Alaska Mosque with their filthy feet. Now, it doesn't seem like that's uh, uh, two partners interested in coexisting, uh, can you talk a little bit more about that situation?
6: Sure. Uh, actually, they uh, asked me to write the article as a counter uh, to an article that was written and also published by a, an Arab, uh, who, although he was born in Jerusalem and now lives in Jordan. Uh, so I'm very thankful to them. Uh, but as you point out, it's one thing to say, listen, you don't belong here because uh, our religion doesn't allow people of another religion to come into our holy place. Okay? It's between you and me and everybody else who's listening, uh, it's not very smart, it's not very couth, it's not very uh, sociable, but okay, there's a logic in it, okay? But number one, El-Aqsa is only one small part of the Temple Mount. Number two, the Temple Mount, as everybody knows, except for a few Arabs, was where the jewish people had had two uh temples and if i'm not mistaken and you know i'm not mistaken usually uh, even jesus was there so he's sort of like not very helping out with a, with millions of christians around the world either and 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 it's this type of viciousness of language of metaphors of uh degrading talk that even before you get to the main issue itself Indicates, as you said, that we need more understanding, minds, and willingness to say, listen, I'm not the only guy on this planet. I'm not the only fellow in this conflict, in this country, in this city, and maybe we can find ways instead of uh, fighting to, to, to compromise, at least for the time being so that no one gets hurt. No one gets thrown stones at. No one gets, God forbid, killed or knived as it happened up there. And if this is their attitude, and I'm going back now to your previous question, why do people of good morals, relatively speaking, intelligence, and even cultural habits, always pick on the side in this conflict that is vicious, terror-oriented, and, and very violent? and, and uh, it, it just knocks me down at one of the most holy places on this planet is that this is the way the people who originally made it sacred are being treated.
1: Sometimes it seems like the only answer is anti-Semitism. Do you not agree?
6: Well, look, anti-Semitism has basically become a modern term for not liking Jews. Uh, there are issues here in which a national struggle takes over, and it could be uh, handled differently, if not, as you said, for the anti-Semitism. As if the Jew is somehow a different human being. His religion is not a religion. His customs are not to be uh, introduced anywhere in the world. His dietary laws, what we call kosher, are not to be accepted, and made fun of, and to be banned, like in several country countries now, in, in, in Europe, for example, okay, but everybody else can have festivals like in Spain with bulls, and uh, uh, and and even in here in the Middle East, we have. If you want to go online and see them, uh, how many thousands of cows are slaughtered in the streets? Somehow, it's always the Jews for and, and good people. People who believe in the Bible, people who believe in God, people who believe in a moral system that is not man-based, but divinely inspired, need to rise above all this and to work things out.
1: I agree with you 100%. For my final question, I'd just like to ask you, there's been a war of words in the media between Iran and Israel. Iran saying um, that they do not want any more military adventures in Iran— Uh, supposedly referring to uh, some of the targeted strikes to delay or uh, slow down their nuclear program. And then in Israel, Lapid talking and and several talking about other options to stop uh, Iran and and, and saying that Israel reserves the right to act against Iran. So I'm just saying, is this an escalation? Is this the status quo more of the same? What's the situation on the ground there? Um. I'm going to guess that it's the
6: visit of Yair Lapida, Israel's foreign minister in Washington, and some of the statements by the Secretary of State mean that the United States, at least, and I think uh, the visit of uh, Merkel, the going-out chancellor of uh, of Germany, also indicate that they realize that the situation is serious, and we at least have to use language that... uh, it's not going to impress Iran, at least it's going to alert their own populations that the situation has been ratcheted up a little further now, and uh, the option of military force or uh reemplacement of uh, sanctions, et cetera, like that, are on the table, uh, because I, there's always the problem of we cry wolf too often and no one believes us because Iran hasn't dropped the bomb. Okay, thank God. Uh, but if they do that, sort of no way back, uh, if we're still around. So, uh, uh, I hope this is, uh, a, uh, indication that they are taking things more seriously and simply just to negotiate or to reinstate the bad deal that was done under the Obama administration land, it's not enough. Uh they are moving ahead. They have not made their goals and and uh and targets uh unknown. They're very clear what they don't they want with Israel. They want Israel to disappear. And so I'm very thankful at least that now we've reached this stage uh, of uh, diplomacy where the words are becoming harsher and
1: stronger. Well, Winky, uh, thank you for monitoring that situation for us. Thank you for taking the time to interview with us today to keep our listeners informed. And before I go, make sure you pass on our congratulations, Mazel Tov, to your grandson for his bar mitzvah.
6: Thank you very much, and we should all be well and enjoy, family. Goodbye to you and our listeners.
0: Winky Medad is our go-to person for all things Israel, really. I mean, from a religious Jew point of view, he has uh, has going to his grandson's bar mitzvah. He gives us the information about the Temple Mount, and he keeps us aware of uh, world issues. And I would say follow him. Uh, You can follow him on Twitter, Israel Medad is his uh, twitter handle and you can take a look at that and and find out more information or find out the things that now some of his postings are in hebrew but that's okay uh, a lot of them are in english and he's very uh, he, he's got a really good brain as to how he views israeli politics uh the life in israel and uh his position as a religious jew in the land of israel well, an old friend of our family, uh, Ron Murrell. Ron, we haven't had you on in a long time. Ron has a website, prophecytracker.org. You can go there. Uh, he's, he, he has a top seven, I believe, or he keeps, uh, his, uh, stories for the day kind of keep going down and he keeps an eye on what's happening. He really examines current events and the light of God's prophetic word also. Uh, very trustworthy. Uh, he writes a lot of articles and a lot of good things. I would go. I would say go visit his website. Ron, it's great to have you here with us today.
7: Jimmy, thanks for having me back on. Um, I, I want to say before we start that I just want to send my condolences to you mm. and the whole DeYoung family for the loss of your dad. Um, he was a biblical giant. And I've been following for over 15 years. Like I keep imagining that big booming voice in the
0: heavenly, <laughs> right? Thank you, Ron. Uh, I know that you were yeah. close to him and to the family. Yeah. Uh, I think he's been in your home, and um, he really respected and, and as well as I do. Uh, that's continuing on, uh, Ron. You know, in, in the years that as I was producing the program for my father and Dad did the program with you you are our go-to guy as far as economics and the end times and how it all sets up. But could you give right. us a, briefly just your testimony as to how you ended up here?
7: Yeah, I can, you know, it, this really all started I was raised in a, in a uh, I won't mention names. I was raised in a legalistic religion, um, uh, all the way from kindergarten through high school. Uh, and, but, but, but I had a grandfather who came from Italy, um, um many years ago and and had a passion for the bible and he shared that passion for the bible with my mother but you know we got caught up into this religion and the bible really wasn't much of a part of it mm. about 25 30 years ago i turned on the television and a billy graham crusade came on and they had a helpline at the end that i uh they said you could call 1-800 for help and they they encouraged me to start reading the bible uh and do one chapter a day, and in a year you get through the you know the New Testament, and I said, "Okay, I can do that." so I started doing that and After I got through once or twice, I was still just completely confused and caught up in legalism uh, jimmy there, there was just nothing, nothing was really making sense. Um, I was on a, a trip from my company in two thousand. Uh, I sat down on this plane. And a fellow sat next to me. We were on two seats with an aisle. You know how it is, three mm-hmm. seats on one side. We were in the section. And a fellow sits down next to me. I had the Bible on my lap. I figured I was going to try to wrestle with this thing one more time. Um, and he sits down, and I'm trying to kind of turn my shoulder so he doesn't start talking. He wouldn't stop talking, actually. And And by the time we were taking off, we were shaking hands. So <laughs> he asked me where I was going what I do, and I told him what I was going, where I was going, what I do. And I said, so so by this time I knew his first name. I said, so Brad, what do you do? And he said, uh, I teach at the Southern Baptist Seminary in in Kentucky. Wow. And I just was, my jaw dropped. And I said, I lifted the Bible off my lap, and I said, maybe you can help me with this, because I am really confused. And for three hours, uh, I got a testimony. I I, I learned... I don't know. I don't know that I really had a. Uh, I don't, I'm not sure what really happened, other than the fact that I gave up on all legalism that day. And when I got off the plane, I ran. My wife met me that night at the hotel, and I said, "I'm never going to be the same." And, and she said, "Be careful about mountaintop experiences." She said, and I said, no. "Legalism was gone from my life, and I started to study, and I became very interested in prophecy. What we've learned about people that come from backgrounds like mine." particularly when you come from a legalistic type of religion, you got to scream from the rooftops. You can't hold it in. That's why I started the blog. I share this somehow. I had to get it out there somehow. I couldn't, I could not contain myself. When I finally retired, I said, this is what I'm going to do. And, and this is what I do uh, pretty much all day is work on work on the blog. And I call it, I feel like it's like a practice. I get, I get to practice, my Bible and see how the Bible is fitting into everyday life.
0: Wow, that's great. Great testimony. And it's, it's, it really is interesting how God works and brings people into your it lives. Is. And uh, very important that as believers now, we all do the same. We let people know because we do have the, the answer of the hope that's within us. Yeah. Well, quickly, uh, we're going to get to... The reason we have you on, and I love your testimony, and I mean, we could probably go all day on that, what God has taught you in these yeah. last 21 years. But let's talk about and, and what your expertise is, is in economics. And so I'm, I'm a little confused sometimes about, and I'm sure people are, what is, in our U.S. government, what is the debt ceiling and why was, it, uh, why was raising it so important?
7: Yeah, Jimmy, the, the debt ceiling is really a cap on the total amount of money that the federal government is authorized to borrow to fulfill its financial obligation. Mm. Now, there was a time before the financial crisis of 2008-9 and when the debt ceiling was really mere political theater. The government would get together, they would justify the outrageous spending on wars and social programs. and, and, and But all that changed in 2009 when the Obama administration and the Federal Reserve instituted quantitative easing QE, simply put, money printing. From 2009 to 2013, the Federal Reserve printed over $4 trillion that was given to troubled banks around the world to uh, so they could buy back the defaulted mortgage bonds with the stated intention to pay back the $4 trillion as soon as the crisis was over.
0: In this scenario, will the U.S. debt ever be repaid? You know, the debt
7: has never been repaid. Mm. And over the next eight years, money printing became the method of solving every crisis in march 2020 with covid crushing the financial markets the federal reserve printed 6.8 trillion dollars to backstop the global stock market the global bond market and the commercial real estate market since then the fed has printed 1.2 billion each month to support those markets that newly printed money is not counted in the national debt it is on the Federal Reserve's balance sheet, which is not shared with Congress. The problem is that when new money is added to the economy, it devalues existing money, causing us to need more dollars to buy the same goods and services. That's why counterfeit is a crime.
8: Mm.
7: I've often said on my blog that it's possible that the U.S. economy died in 2009 and has been on life support on a ventilator called quantitative easing ever since.
0: Wow. No kidding. I mean, that's uh, well, we're going to get to how this sets up as a scenario for the end times. But what would happen if the government ever defaulted on paying its debt?
7: Yeah, if the U.S. were to default on its obligations, the, the result would be the end of the U.S. dollar as well-reserved currency. That would cause a rapid rise in interest rates and a severe economic crash that would give the Fed the excuse that it needs to ditch the paper dollar cancel cryptocurrencies and issue, issue central bank digital currencies as the only means of transacting business, thereby taking full control of the U.S. economy from Congress.
0: Mm. I read yesterday that Joe Biden is interested in appointing a cryptocurrency czar. Is that connected to central banks' digital currencies?
7: I believe it is. Uh, Mm. Cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin, Ethereum, and literally thousands of other coins are outside of government's control. And that makes these bureaucrats very nervous. The Chinese government the past year has issued a digital yuan and has been circulating it in the Chinese economy. It didn't take long for China to outlaw non-government crypto coins as a way to keep track of every transaction in the communist nation. Joe Biden's Treasury Secretary, Janet Yellen, has been vocal in her disdain for cryptos and even recommended taxing them at 80 percent. Progressive officials want all transactions controlled by the government. And I think that is exactly what Biden's cryptos are will be assigned to do to explain why cryptocurrencies are dangerous for people to own and recommend that the Federal Reserve issue a coin to completely control the nation's money supply. (laughs) <laughs> I
0: remember you emphasized to, uh, to my dad that these digital currencies are programmable. Could you expand upon that for us? Yeah,
7: I, I can. Just 12 years ago, the idea that a government could track every transaction on the planet as described in Revelation 13, 16, and 17 was impossible. In 2009, Bitcoin burst on the world scene. And at first, it was considered a fun, shiny new thing. But what made Bitcoin interesting to investors was that a fixed number of coins would be available, unlike U.S. dollars that are being created daily. So from 2009 to 2020, Bitcoin soared from pennies a a coin to over $60,000 per coin. Mm. We learned from the Chinese digital yuan that central bank digital currencies are programmable and cancelable, making them the perfect tool for a future dictator to control Not only buying and selling, but behavior. Imagine that power. Contribute to a Christian charity? Canceled. Contribute to an outspoken political candidate? Canceled. You get the picture. Jimmy, no generation before this generation has had the ability to create a mark or control a person's ability to buy and sell. It is here now, and it can be implemented quickly.
0: (laughs) You know, I I heard, uh, I I saw in the news just uh, Maybe Wednesday or Thursday, I saw in the news maybe just Wednesday or Thursday that uh, somebody came out with an announcement and said the cryptocurrency is worth nothing, and what these people had been collecting and valued at over sixty five thousand dollars per coin all of a sudden is worth nothing. Well, it's
7: not worth nothing now. As a matter of fact, it's, probably, it's it, I think it's the value of, of Bitcoin uh, right now is at around the. Fifty thousand range, okay. Uh, but no, they're they're still quite valuable, and uh, the, the rise, the, this price rise, is causing these government bureaucrats to get really nervous about it. They they want they don't want to lose control. Mm. When when Facebook tried to come out with a physical uh, a cryptocurrency in two thousand and nineteen, the regulators came down like a, a ton of bricks on it with all kinds of rules because they were afraid that Facebook would become a, a de facto central bank there are 2.4 billion unbanked people on the world that Facebook could reach. And for that reason, the government's just put onerous restrictions on them, and that coin just disappeared.
0: So, Ron, in your professional opinion, you believe that the way that the economic debt, uh, our economy is going, and cryptocurrency is all setting up for the that that event that will take place at the midway point of the tribulation period, the mark of the beast.
7: Uh, I do. Um, I, I believe this. That, you know, as your dad used to say so often, the, the stage is set. Hmm. The, all the all the technology is in place to be able to pull the switch on this thing, and uh, the the Federal Reserve has already said that they've been that they are in the process of studying. This uh, this idea, they already have a name for it. It's called. So far, it's been it's been called the Fed Coin, which would be uh, a, it would be replacing your paper dollars with a digital entry. The likelihood is we would have our accounts would be at the Fed, not at our regular neighborhood bank. Uh, there would be no need for your neighborhood bank, and that all transactions would go through the Fed.
0: Ron, we're going to have you on again. Uh, we've got to stay on top of this on a, almost on a week by week basis, but for sure each month we're going to have you on to help us to uh, keep our eyes on what's happening, what the world is doing and, and uh, how that plays into future events in Bible prophecy. Ron, thank you so much for being with us today.
7: It was my pleasure to be here, Jimmy. Thank you and God bless.
0: God bless. And folks, let me remind you his website is www.prophecytracker.org. We're going to have to take a break. And when we come back, I've got Mike Gendron talking about the Reformation. This is the 504th anniversary of the Reformation that took place in Europe. We'll be right back on Prophecy Today Weekend. Mm Welcome back to Prophecy Today. I'm Jimmy DeYoung Jr. along with my brother Rick. You know, usually this is the section of the program as we examine current events in the light of God's prophetic word that we've had for the last nine years, David James talking about situations that concern the body of Christ. Rick, we want to keep praying for David James. I got an update from his daughter, Becky, that Dave is still in intensive care. He's on a ventilator, but he is doing much better. And we need to keep praying for Dave that he will continue this fight along with many other people that are battling COVID in these days in which we live.
1: Yes, Jimmy, our thoughts and prayers are certainly with David James and his family at this time as they support him. And uh, we will continue to. Keep him in our prayers and know that God is sovereign over this entire situation.
0: Well, we have a good friend of our ministry, Mike Gendron. Mike's been on with us before. And today we're going to talk about the 504th anniversary of the Reformation. But Mike, before we get to that, welcome to the program. And I would like in in all of our years of talking with you, I've never heard your testimony. So welcome to the program, Mike.
9: Well, thank you. It's good to be back on. And yes, we are celebrating Reformation this month. And where would we be without it? We just praise God that he raised up the reformers that brought the word of God back to the people. And it's interesting because I look at my testimony, the testimony of God's grace in my life, very similar to the testimony of God's grace in Martin Luther's life. We were both very devout Catholics and I had never opened the bible in my first 35 years as a catholic because the priest said it was too difficult to Mm. understand so i had a large bible that sat on my coffee table collecting dust but at the age of 35 i opened it for the first time and i began reading it and i had a crisis of faith because what i was reading in the bible was diametrically opposed to what i had been taught as a catholic regarding the salvation of my soul And I recognized this was an important issue, and so I wanted to make sure I got it right. I've come to know that we can be wrong about a lot of things in Mm -hmm. this life and still survive, but if we're wrong about eternity, we'll pay for that mistake forever. Mm. And so during this crisis of faith, I came to a point where I knew I couldn't believe both. I had to either believe Christ and His Word or the teachings and tradition of my religion when I came to a passage in Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, it really hit me between the eyes. There Paul writes, For by grace you have been saved through faith. It's not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, so that no man may boast. And Jimmy, all my life as a Catholic, I was a very devout Catholic, and I was working my way to heaven. I was meriting the grace necessary for salvation. Mm. I was doing penance for the forgiveness of my sin, receiving the sacraments, going to Mass every day during Lent to build up enough credit. And so when I read those two verses, it just hit me that it's a gift of God. It's nothing that I do. It's what God grants for those who repent and believe his gospel. And so when I believed the gospel and repented of the false way of salvation, it literally turned my life upside down. I was born again, and I recognized very quickly that I wanted to spend the rest of my life on the things that last throughout all eternity, and that is the souls of men and the Word of God. And so I began attending Bible studies every morning of the week before I went to work, and that wasn't enough. So I ended up leaving my corporate career, going to seminary, and uh, after my last semester seminary, we began inviting Roman Catholics over to our house, to share the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. And we saw within 13 months, 17 Catholics exchanged their religion for a relationship with our Lord and Savior. So 31 years later, here we are, and the Lord has taken us all over the world. It's truly been amazing. We stand in awe with what he has done with a couple of broken vessels. My wife is also a Roman Catholic, so we really have a great compassion to reach those with the one and only gospel that saves. And so I just thank you for the opportunity to share the testimony of God's grace. It truly is miraculous to take a great sinner like myself and to recognize Jesus Christ went to the cross as my substitute to die in my place so that I could be forgiven and receive the righteousness of God that comes from faith in Christ alone.
0: You know, what's interesting, Mike, is I had an opportunity to be in your home on a night that you did a Bible study, and we heard so many testimonies of people that you had led to the Lord who were former Catholics and gave a testimony. What I like about what you do is it's so very loving. You know, it's not confrontational. You just open up and let the Word of God speak, which brings me to the question, why was the Reformation necessary?
9: Well, it was the ignorance of Scripture that made the Reformation necessary, but it was the recovery of the Scriptures that made the Reformation possible. So when we look at why was the Reformation necessary, it really became about because the Word of God was not being preached in Roman Catholic churches. And what happened is, as the Reformers began abiding in God's Word, the truth set them free, and and that rings of John chapter 8, verses 31 to 32, where Jesus said, if you are truly a disciple of mine, you will abide in my word, then you mm-hmm. will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. But we also see that up until that time, the Catholics were held in bondage to Satan and the devil. We see in Second Timothy chapter 2, verses 24 to 26, that We are to pray for those in opposition so God would grant them repentance leading to a knowledge of the truth so they can escape the snare of the devil that holds them captive to do his will. And so the only thing that will set captives free is abiding in in God's word to know the truth, and then that truth will set them free. And so when we look at the plan of salvation in the Roman Catholic Church, Rome had corrupted it, which is why the... Reformers came up with the five solas that we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone, according to Scripture alone, all for the glory of God alone. You know, prior to the Reformers having those five solas from reading the Bible, the Catholics thought they were saved by grace plus merit, faith plus works, Christ plus other mediators, and they added tradition to their Scripture as equal in authority and they were glorifying God as well as Mary and the saints and so the corrupted gospel of the Roman Catholic Church saved no one the Roman Catholic plan of salvation teaches that you must be baptized as a sacrament of justification and regeneration then you must live a life of receiving sacraments attending the daily sacrifice or the weekly sacrifice of the mass And you must obey the law, and then you must do good works in order to be re-justified. And so it is really a distortion of the gospel. And we know from Galatians 1, 6 to 9, that that places all the Roman Catholic clergy under divine condemnation. Because Mm -hmm. Paul said, if you teach any other gospel, then you are you are condemned. You are anathema. You're, you're to be turned over to God for destruction. So, Rome's distortion and corruption of the gospel includes using their heretical priesthood to continue on an altar what Jesus finished on the cross. They deny the words of our bloodstained Savior when Jesus cried out in victory, it is finished. Instead, they believe the priest has the power to call Jesus down from heaven to be offered again on an altar in the form of a Eucharistic wafer. And we know from Hebrews chapter 10 uh, that Jesus died once for all sin for all time. And we need to let Roman Catholics know that they are in a church that perverts the gospel. They're under divine condemnation, and they need to come out and worship God in spirit and in truth. The Reformation was necessary because the Catholic Church drifted into apostasy. They started preaching doctrines of demons. And I can take you back to the Garden of Eden, Jimmy, when, when Satan told Adam and Eve, you surely shall not die when you break God's command. Well, that is what the Catholic Church refers to as venial sin, sins that do not cause death. And so this perpetuates the lie of the devil in the garden, When you commit venial sins, you don't die, you go to purgatory Mm. to have your sins purged away. And so as they drifted into apostasy, the Reformers recognized this, and so they righted the ship and they put the Reformed Church back on the right road, the narrow road that leads to life
0: that's interesting when we talk about that and again i want folks to understand because sometimes we get a lot of mail from people that say look you don't understand the catholic church you don't understand we have been in the church our whole life and traditionally mike what would you say to somebody that has been their whole life in there and they don't see these things
9: well I would encourage them to visit our website, proclaimingthegospel.org, because this is not my opinion that I'm giving, Jimmy. Mm -hmm. This is the actual authority of the Roman Catholic Church. We have gospel tracts where we state the actual paragraph of the Catechism of the Catholic Church to show Catholics this is what the Catholic Church teaches, and it's diametrically opposed to what the Bible teaches. And so they need to make the same decision that I made and Martin Luther made, and that is... Like, am I going to trust the sufficiency of our Lord Jesus Christ for my salvation? Or am I going to continue doing works and obeying the law in hopes that that would one day save me? And so it's really a decision every Roman Catholic has to make. So visit our website, proclaimingthegospel.org, and you can see a wealth of information that would really help Catholics come to a decision to trust the all-sufficiency of Christ alone.
0: What did the Reformation accomplish, and how is it still, you can see it today?
9: Yeah, well, first and foremost, the Reformation reestablished the Word of God as the supreme authority for faith. And in Roman Catholicism today, they have three authorities. They have the Bible as one, they have their sacred tradition, but they also have the infallible teachings of their bishops. In fact, the Catholic Church dares to say that their bishops are the only one that can interpret the Word of God accurately. Mm. We know the Scriptures were written directly to the saints, and everyone is going to be responsible for what the Word of God teaches. But the Reformation also reestablished the Lord Jesus Christ as the only head of his church. He's the one that went to the cross to die for his church. How dare the Pope steal the title head of the church from our Lord Jesus Christ? And the Reformers also made the Bible available to the people in their own language. And, you know, soon after Martin Luther nailed his 95 Thesis to the church door in Wittenberg, he hit out on the Warburg Castle in Germany to translate the Bible into the German language so that the people of Germany could read the Bible on their own, unaided by the church, and they could read the Bible and be saved. And so the Catholic Church also reestablished justification, as it is according to the Scriptures. Wow, there are so many differences between this most important doctrine of justification. You know, the Reformers said that if you get justification wrong, you get the gospel wrong,
8: Mm, mm -hmm.
9: and it's the very hinge upon which the gates of heaven open and close. The Bible teaches that justification is an instantaneous declaration that the condemned sinner is now declared righteous because of their faith in Jesus Christ. At that very moment, the gavel comes down, which is a legal declaration. The condemned sinner is now declared righteous because of the righteousness of Christ has been imputed to their account. And so they stand before a holy God righteous. And Hebrews ten fourteen says, By one offering he has made perfect forever those who are being sanctified. And so that's why we have the assurance that the moment we die we're going to be in the presence of our Lord, because this right standing before God is forever. We have the assurance. In fact, in Romans eight thirty we see those God justifies, He glorifies. Jesus does not lose one that the Father has given them. You know, this is such good news to Roman Catholics that might be listening. You can know for sure the moment you die, you'll be in the presence of Christ. When you repent of the false way the Catholic Church has taught you, and trust in Christ alone as your all-sufficient Savior. And I just plead with Roman Catholics to, to test every teaching with the authority of Scripture. If it conforms to Scripture, then believe it. But if it goes against Scripture, you need to reject it. And trust Christ as your authority in all matters of faith.
8: Mm.
0: Mike, we're going to take a break, and I want to ask you just to stick around for a few more minutes because I want to ask you a sure. question about the eschatology uh, that that came out of the Reformation and how they view end time events. But we're going to come right back to that question after we take a break right here on Prophecy Today Weekend. Mm-hmm.
3: Call Joshua Travel today at 423-821-3635 to find out more about this trip of a lifetime, or you can visit us online at joshuatravel.com.
4: I'm Ruth Kramer with Mission Network News. Leaked documents known as the Pandora Papers have revealed the financial secrets of the world's ultra-rich. These figures hid their wealth in various offshore accounts, with Sam Nasrallah with LSESD says the papers exposed many Lebanese officials. Worse yet, they have no incentive to change the corrupt system that they benefit from. Ask God to give renewed strength to LSESD's team because they battle exhaustion and discouragement every day as the crisis in Lebanon continues. And the Taliban is pushing Afghanistan toward religious authoritarianism. The new government strongly supports a strict interpretation of Sharia law. But this attitude may end up turning people away from Islam. John Weaver, a former aid worker in Afghanistan, spoke to the Voice of the Martyrs Canada on the topic. He says the Taliban wants to see their country flourish, and they genuinely believe strict Islamic law will make that happen. So join us in asking the Holy Spirit to change hearts in Afghanistan. Mission Network News is a service of One Way Ministries. I'm Ruth Kramer.
0: Welcome back to Prophecy Today. I'm Jimmy DeYoung, Jr., Mike, because this is a program that looks at future events, according to what the Bible says, examining current events in the light of God's prophetic word, we look at other eschatologies of other uh, religions and and, uh, uh, around the world and what people view. When we look at the Reformation, and again, we're celebrating the 504th, uh, anniversary of the Reformation that was a great moment in the history of the church where just reading god 's Word would help people. The Holy Spirit would help them to understand uh, if they could read god 's Word only and not other people telling them what they should do and how they should do it so that's that 's an understanding of why Martin Luther did this. but when you look at the eschatology that came out of the Reformation, how would you view that
9: well. Unfortunately, the Reformers did not address eschatology. They spent all of their time on soteriology, and that is the study of salvation, mm. which is why they understood justification so clearly. They were taking it right from the Scriptures. But when we look at the Reformed Church today, many of our Reformed churches have a millennial view of eschatology, which is what the Reformers took out of the catholic church the roman catholic church has always been all millennial they believe that jesus will not return to the earth until the whole church has become roman catholic but we know that um, there will be a thousand year reign of the lord jesus christ on this earth he will rule and reign with the saints Mm, who come back from heaven with him and you look at all the prophecies of the old testament prophets they all talked about jesus ruling and reigning on this earth from the throne of david and you go to revelation chapter twenty and you see the thousand-year reign of christ is mentioned six times and so what the reformers do is because they took no notice of eschatology they have this all-millennial view and today the reformed church often looks at millennialism as a way to spiritualize what is actually presented as literal in revelation chapter 20 and so it's, it's unfortunate it's tragic that the reformers didn't continue reforming the church in eschatology but that's the issue that we're dealing with today and i think the bible makes it so clear that jesus christ when he returns to the earth he will rule and reign from the throne of david for a thousand years
0: Yes. You know, and I think another thing that came out of that, uh, unfortunately, and it really, as you read the scriptures, uh, Israel was no longer a nation, but God had made at least uh, you know, four major covenants with the Jewish people. When we look at Bible prophecy, we realize that God still has a plan for the Jews and he's not finished with them. His plan right now is for all people, Jews and Gentiles, is to come to know Jesus Christ as their personal savior, but God has a plan, and what came out of the Reformation was that they replace almost a replacement theology of that no longer was Israel a nation, and that the Christians replaced the the Jew and God's plan, correct
9: Yeah, it's unfortunate. But uh, replacement theology is very prevalent in in evangelical churches Mm -hmm. today, unfortunately. But God definitely has a future. He will bless Israel. Unfortunately, during the tribulation, though, we
8: Mm -hmm. will see
9: two-thirds of the Jewish people perish, and only the remnant will remain, and they'll look upon the one they have pierced when the Lord Jesus comes to save them.
0: Very good. How can we remember the Reformation today?
9: Well, we need to remember that the reason the Reformation was necessary is because the people did not have access to the Word of God. And I would encourage all of our listeners, if you're attending a church that doesn't faithfully preach the whole counsel of God, verse by verse, book by book, that you really need to find a good, solid church, because in these times we need to hear the whole counsel of God. There is such spiritual darkness coming upon the earth, We know that in in the end, there'll be a great apostasy of falling away from the church. And Jimmy, what's happening is when people aren't hearing the word of God preached faithfully week in and week out, they're not hearing truth. And when they don't hear truth, they don't know how to discern truth from Mm. error. And so it leaves the church a fertile ground for deception. So more than ever, I think we need to be abiding in God's word and contending earnestly for the purity and the exclusivity of the gospel. That's the greatest attack on the Christian faith today, is on the purity and exclusivity. Most pastors want to make it inclusive so they can have a larger following.
8: Mm -hmm. They can
9: become more popular and more influential. So those are the things we need to do. Contend earnestly for the faith and abide in God's Word.
0: You know... We need to stick with God's Word. So many churches today, as Mike just said, are not teaching the Word anymore. Uh, They're going outside extra-biblical resources. They're just trying to become relevant. And we know that's one of the signs of the end times. Mike, give us the name of your website again so that folks can go there and get the many resources that you have available.
9: Yeah, our website is proclaimingthegospel.org. Proclaimingthegospel.org, and our phone number is 817 379 5300. Anybody that wants to call for our resources, or if any Roman Catholic wants to call, if they'd like to have clarification on what was said, we'd be welcome for phone calls.
0: Mike, thank you so much for joining with us today, and thank you for this information. And again, you always keep us updated on the Reformation and all things as far as using. God's Word to evangelize the world.
9: Thank you for the privilege, Jimmy.
0: Jimmy,
1: what a great interview with Mike Gendron, and it's so important. The Reformation was so important to all of us and our Christian faith, but we need to be careful and make sure that any questionable theologies coming out of the Reformation are examined in the light of God's Word.
0: That's exactly right, Rick. You know, Dad used to say, your eschatology determines your theology. And as we look at the end times and where we're living, we realize that God not only has a plan, but He wants us to go to His Word from Genesis 1-1 to Revelation twenty two twenty one, to study His Word, to determine the times in which we're living and why that is so very important. And I think in doing our program, Prophecy Today Weekend, We help the body of Christ to be able to continue to understand the times in which we're living, to understand that the rapture of the church that could happen even right now, even today, how that promotes us to live a pure, productive, holy life in an unholy world. Thank you for joining Rick and I today as the program comes to a close. And we want to encourage you to stay in God's word as we're living in the end times. Knowing what we know... The rapture of the church could take place today. So let's keep looking up until. Thank you so much for joining us
3: today. This is Jay Johnson inviting you to join us again next week for more of Prophecy Today. Prophecy Today is a listener-supported production of Shofar Communications in Chattanooga, Tennessee.